Hey, my name is Chris Brennan, and you're listening to the Astrology Podcast. In this episode, I'm going to be talking with astrologer Kenneth Johnson about um, the Mayan calendar and Mesoamerican astrology, which is the astrology of ancient Mexico and Central America. Uh, so, hey, Kenneth, welcome back to the show. Well, thanks. It's good to be back. Yeah. So uh, this is um, your second appearance. You're actually on episode nine of the Astrology Podcast way back in 2013, where we talked about the relationship between ancient Hellenistic and ancient Indian astrology. And I can't believe that's crazy how long ago that was, that it was like 10 years ago now. So it's nice round number that we're meeting back up again on. <laughs> uh, yeah, I had thought it was about five years ago. So uh, uh, in, in that respect, it is kind of amazing. Yeah. Yeah, the past three years, uh, 2020 was a bit of a time warp, uh, distorting everything. But <laughs> yeah, here we are back again. So you were the author, actually, of two books on this topic. The first one is Jaguar Wisdom, an Introduction to the Mayan Calendar. And then the more recent one is titled Mayan Calendar Astrology, Mapping Your Inner Cosmos. Um, so I wanted to talk first a little bit um, about your background in this area and your story as an astrologer and how you came to specialize and be knowledgeable in this specific tradition. And then maybe we'll then use that as a jumping off point to start talking about its ancient history and bringing it up to the okay. practice in modern times. So what's your um, background? I think you said that, I mean, I guess maybe since it's been so long since our last time on the show and I wasn't doing mm -hmm. video versions, what, where's your story start as an astrologer? Oh, as an astrologer, my uh, story begins with Western astrology way back in 1973 when I was uh, taking off from uh, university for a while and living in Amsterdam. Uh, and then my first astrological work, purely astrological, was uh, a collaboration uh, entitled uh, Mythic Astrology, Archetypal Powers in the Horoscope. Uh, I became interested in Hindu or Indian astrology, Jyotish, uh, in the late 1980s. Uh, worked with both systems for quite a number of years. But uh, I also, at the time, was writing a number of books. One a year for Llewellyn Publications. And uh, uh, sometimes I was writing about astrological material, whereas at other times I would just choose a culture and write about the mythology of it. I have written about the, the myths, legends, and lore of Celtic mythology uh, with mythic astrology. Then, uh, obviously, this was Greek and Roman. Uh, I've written about Norse mythology. And uh, in 1995, I was living on a fairly remote Indian Reservation in New Mexico, and I was working at the tribal center as a librarian. So I thought, hey, this year, why don't I do um, a Native American theme? And 
I chose to write Jaguar Wisdom, an introduction to the Mayan calendar, because there was just so much nonsense being talked. And my intention was to refocus uh, people's attention on the ancient tradition and how it had survived into contemporary times and how it was being practiced still in contemporary times. Uh, the astrology chapter turned out to be important because it was the first time that anyone had ever recorded the contemporary Mayan astrology system in the English language. And some years later, as the 2012 hysteria became more peculiar and bizarre, I uh, was approached by a publisher who wanted to create a second edition of the book and did so. And shortly after it was printed, I received a mysterious email. And I say mysterious because I did not know this person. I had never met this person. Uh, I, I, I knew that she was, uh, well, she told me uh, that she was uh, the only American expatriate, the only Western expatriate altogether who was living in the town of Momostanango, which has long been renowned for the way it kept the ancient traditions and the way that people still lived by the 260-day sacred calendar. And in her letter, which was very brief, she simply said, it's good to see your wonderful book back in print. The elders here in Momostanango feel like it's time that you should come down and study with them. So I did. And that ended up being many, many years uh, worth of study. That was, I, I arrived there in early 2010, uh, made many visits. And then uh, in, early in 2017, I was offered initiation as a keeper of the days. Um, um, they say sacerdote maya, which means uh, Mayan priest. This requires nine lunar months of intense study, uh, which I completed and then was initiated. Um, and uh, by that time, what with two editions of the book uh, circulating around, um, I, I just acquired a reputation as the person who is able to to do it and do it well in English. Right. So it's part of um, not just going back and studying the ancient tradition and what survives from 
like pre-Columbian times and from the actual Mayan civilization from a thousand to two thousand years ago, but also that there is a continuing living tradition of that astrology to some extent that both carries some pieces of the ancient uh, versions of it, but also some modern um, developments are a little bit new, but that it's part of a living tradition. Yeah, this is true. Actually, we are not clear as to whether the classic Maya even practiced natal astrology. Uh, we have examples of dates that were obviously set uh, deliberately, so that gives us a window into their electional uh, astrology. Uh, we have uh, their historical world ages, which I guess uh, could be qualified as mundane astrology. And then since they count the days of the ancient calendar, which is their astrological material, they count the days uh, for divination uh, when a person asks a question, this could be considered horary astrology, and we have reason to believe that they were doing this in classic times. Um, as far as natal astrology is concerned, we have much better information from the Aztec civilization. Uh, we actually have some hundreds of pages worth uh, uh, which allows the system to be reconstructed in, in great detail. And the contemporary system among the Maya is part of what I call the Mayan uh, creative renaissance or spiritual renaissance, which took place during the dreadful 15-year civil, uh, civil war, which... Uh, encompassed Guatemala from 1981 to 1996. Uh, the, the contemporary system appears somewhere around 1989. Despite all my efforts, I have never been able to establish a single creator for it. I'm not sure there is a single creator Um I've established the names and uh, paid visits to several people who are known to have been deeply involved with its development. Okay. Um, well, let's talk about some of the ancient history and set okay. the time frames, and then we'll work our way up to the present. So okay. um, I want to give a shout out to a patron named Kimberly Schulter, who um, helped a little bit with some of the research that I did for this episode. And also there was an article titled Mesoamerican Astrology by William Burns in a book, Astrology Through History, that was also helpful for me for part of my outline. So let's define our topic and our timeframes that we're talking about. And what's interesting and unique about this episode that I've never covered before is we're talking about the indigenous traditions of astrology that were developed in Mexico and Central America um, in its earlier forms prior to the 16th century, which was prior to the invasion by people from, from Spain and from Europe. Mm -hmm. um, so one of our issues 
is first um, naming it that we don't really have a good singular name for these these traditions, but they, it goes under many different names because we're talking about like a few different cultures and time periods, right? Quite a few different cultures and uh, the time frame. Oh, I, I had to laugh when I saw that in, in Kimberly's notes. Um, of, of just, she was like, you it, should. No, you guys, in, you in, guys the should. in the sense that five, even five, certainly 10 years ago, uh, archaeologists would have written in a very authoritative way about the origins of Mesoamerican civilization. And now, within the last decade, everything has been turned upside down. And uh, it is happening so fast that by the time a person finishes a book and the book goes into production and is finally printed, they will have discovered numerous uh, new um, factors. Uh, for example, we used to say uh, with authority that uh, the Olmecs in around 1100 BC were the mother culture of Mesoamerica and that they most likely developed the 260-day calendar. Um, but now we've discovered another equally early civilization in the Mexican state of Chiapas, and then several years ago, they discovered a religious site, which is clearly Mayan, but which dates back to 1000 BC. And now, just in the past few months, someone stumbled very deep into the jungle and discovered they... They're, they're counting now over 400 Mayan cities uh, that date back to 1000 BC. So it, it's very difficult to put a time frame on this. Uh, the major numbers involved, um, and we will probably discuss why, are 13, 20, 52, and 260. And... I don't know how they do it, but archaeologists are able to figure out the units of measurement that people were using when they build. And now, um, also in, in southern Mexico, uh, a village called Paso de Amado has been discovered where almost all the buildings are built in units of 13 20, 52, and um, 260. The village dates back to 2000 BC. It's just a little farming village. But now the question is open as to whether the 260-day calendar was actually invented as early as 2000 BC. Sure. So that that's what I mean when I say by the time uh, you finish a book and get it uh, through uh, the production phase and into print, everything could change. Uh, it, it's moving that fast. 
Sure. But just um, so roughly to orient people, though, let's say that we're talking about a time frame between 2000 BCE, perhaps for the very earliest stages of civilization in the area, you know, now that we roughly associate with Central America and Mexico, yeah. uh, all the way up until maybe a flourishing period between around 250, 250 CE around to about 1697 CE. Would you say that that's roughly for the Mayan um, civilization, correct? I would uh, say... Just that, if we're giving very I, I, broad I would strokes. say, okay, 250 CE is what we would call the beginning of the Mayan classic period. And this is when uh, we find a fully developed script capable of writing long passages. Uh, it was probably capable of writing entire books, although no such book uh, ha has survived. And 1697, I, I think, is a bit late. Uh, the Spanish conquered the Aztecs in 1521 and immediately set to work on, on the Maya, who, who were basically uh, conquered by 1540. That is the point at which Europeans attempt to destroy all the knowledge. Right. So they actually went out of their way to systematically try to destroy um, some of the writings that were around at that time, um, partially due to like like religious reasons. Yeah, mostly due to well. Religious reasons, yes, uh, in the sense that the church had such hegemony, uh, such control over what the conquistadors did. But from a conquistador's point of view, uh, it had to be destroyed because the more of their sacred knowledge they retained, the more troublesome, the more rebellious and uh, the more combative they were. So that was a good reason, practical reason for them to get rid of it. Mm, okay. So that becomes then one of the major stumbling blocks for studying the types of astrology and astronomy that occurred in these civilizations, like in the Mayan civilization and Aztec civilizations, is that so much was destroyed that there aren't a lot of written sources that survived into modern times, right? Uh, like comparatively well, 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 to... Well, the, the Aztecs never really had uh, a syllabary or an alphabet. Uh, they worked entirely by way of picture writing. And uh, the Maya are the only ones who had a fully developed script, which can be read like one of our own books, except that the characters represent syllables rather than alphabetic letters. Uh, and 85% it, it, of it, or 90% of it probably by now, uh, can be read uh, clearly. Um, and sometimes... Uh, 
archaeology has been very helpful. Uh, it was actually in the year 2012 that uh, at a very small uh, Mayan city called Shultun in Guatemala, they discovered a workshop for scribes. And it turns out that the scribes who wrote in hieroglyphics are the same people who um, calculated the astronomy. Uh, because in the scribal workshop, we found examples of people who were just simply practicing writing their letters, but we also found uh, on the walls uh, cycles of time, obviously based on astronomy, which were previously unknown to us. So uh, we now know that scribes, literatures, um, and astronomers were the same people. Okay. And um, then among the Aztecs, uh, there is one, there are a number of... Uh, bark paper books that have survived and some of them are astrological al almanacs and fortunately um, a priest without any apparent prejudice Bernardino Sahagun uh, recorded everything he could find about Aztec knowledge. It runs to nine or 10, maybe even 12 volumes. Um, and he wrote it both in Spanish and in the Aztec language, of which he was an expert. And thanks to him, we have several hundred detailed pages on Aztec astrology, and we are able to compare them with the Mm, the the picture books the the pictorial almanacs and lucky for us uh there are a couple of the really good almanacs that make an exact match with sahagun so yes we we do have uh, a fairly large amount of material on uh, the aztec astrology okay and so um so reconstructions about all of this is based on some of the literature that survived some archaeological archaeological evidence and also mm -hmm. some anthropological studies among contemporary native native americans and all of these seem to yeah. point to the idea of the central role that the sky played in their culture um and i have a quote from the burns article where he says okay. quote quote Mesoamerican cultures were characterized by complex and accurate astronomically based calendars, as well as a desire for, for society to mirror a cosmic order. Um, and he says that this was a highly state-centered forms of mundane astrology, especially earlier on in their history. Um, do you think that's true, the way they I, characterize it? I, in terms I think... Of uh... Uh, certainly among the classic Maya, it 
uh, seems to have been confined to the upper classes, but at some point it became simply common knowledge. Uh, I can give you an example. Uh, there is the Mayan creation epic in which the two hero twins journey down to the underworld and they battle with the lords of death and they triumph. And when they triumph, uh, they break through back into a new world age. They break through the belt of Orion and they lay down three hearthstones, um, which is not the belt, but it's the central star of the belt as well as um, Orion's two feet. So it includes Regal. Uh, and in so doing, they create a new world age. Um, and even their journey is con could be considered uh, astronomical in the sense that the uh, scholar, uh, really the first one uh, uh, to be initiated by the Maya as a daykeeper, incidentally by the same lineage and in the same town as I was, and he was able to establish that uh, the stay of the hero twins in the underworld corresponds to the disappearance of Venus, the invisibility of Venus. So when they crack through Orion and lay the three hearthstones of a new world, uh, we are seeing the return of Venus from invisibility. And as we were uh, discussing somewhat earlier uh, with uh, the notes for this presentation, uh, the whole idea of Venus the morning star, then the period of invisibility when Venus is in the underworld, then it's, you know, glorious return uh, as uh, a beautiful and magical uh, thing bears a tremendous resemblance to uh, the myth of Inanna Ishtar. Uh, so we have the uh, life, death, and rebirth motif here again. But um, so we know that as early, uh, by the way, the uh, triangle there in Orion is not an equilateral triangle. But as early as 300 BC in El Mirador, <clears throat> we find temples that are built in that exact triangular pattern, mirroring, <coughs> excuse me, mirroring, uh, as you said, mirroring the cosmos here on Earth. As early as how, how early again, did you say? 300 BC for that. Okay. Got it. And then um, about a thousand years later, in 702 uh, CE, 
a very famous um, ruin, which some of your listeners have probably visited, uh, the upper Acropolis of Palenque. There are three temples, and these also are in the same triangular pattern. They're still remembering uh, the three hearthstones in Orion, and then um, on the theme of, you know, what, what is above is mirrored down below, there are three volcanoes at Lake Atitlan, which just happen to be in the same triangular pattern. Uh, and therefore, Lake Atitlan is regarded as the uh, creation place. I'll, I'll have a bit more to say about that in terms of astronomy and astrology uh, very soon. But as for the survival of these traditions, which we've now taken to 702 uh, CE, I have actually been in the back of a pickup truck late, late at night when we were uh, driving over uh, rough dirt country roads in the mountains and the several other guys who were in the back of the pickup truck with me, I don't know. They were simple manual laborers. I'm not sure they could even read or write, but they were able to point out the three hearthstones. And Mayan women, when they cook on a wood stove, still put down three stones in a triangular pattern and uh, call those the three hearthstones because after all, the kitchen is their hearth. And then when they um, um, uh, oh, when I asked about it is, is what I'm trying to say. When I asked about it, uh, my friend Dona Maria said, well, it's like bringing a little bit of heaven down to earth. So here again, we have uh, what you mentioned uh, from Mr. Burns's article, uh, the mirroring of heaven upon earth. Right. So it That's... still survives to this very day. We can trace it back to 300 BC uh, at least, but it still survives. Okay. So yeah, that seems crucial. And that's the most interesting thing about this to me is what's one of the more interesting things about studying Mayan astrology is the ability to study a culture that's developing a form of astrology and, and at least developing some astrolog what we might consider astrological notions completely independently of, you know, the types of astrology that were developing in Mesopotamia mm -hmm. or India or China independently, mm -hmm. but sometimes there there's similarities or there's echoes that are very interesting. So mm -hmm. at the very earliest stage though, as with early early Mesopotamian astrology, we're talking about largely like forms of mundane astrology and we're talking about an astrology that's highly state-centered um and also where there's the political and social order is being identified with the cosmic order mm -hmm. um, where there's elaborate buildings with astronomical orientations and imagery uh, mm -hmm. imagery and rituals that are connected to the calendar mm -hmm. um, that this astrology is connected to the political and religious elite although maybe not entirely 
and then that it's partially driven by a need to accurately reckon the days and perform rituals at the correct time and where that um yeah so 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 maybe let's start with that or or what would you say about that that they're basically we can see the parallels then with like for example mesopotamian astrology or with i think you mentioned chinese astrology may have some political parallels uh chinese astrology uh has each day um in in a chinese astrological almanac is a mixture of different elements and cycles of planets are very uh secondary uh but each day within any given cycle uh will have its own mixture of elements and uh, other qualities and factors and uh mesoamerican astrology is the same way because uh you know they did have a solar calendar of 365 days but it was not used for astrological purposes and in fact um only the 260 day calendar was used in that fashion uh the origins of it and, and as i said we, we we're seeing the the increments you know like 260 uh, uh as units of measurement as early as 2000 bc now uh but where does this unusual uh 260 um number come from and it may have an astronomical basis uh, in the tropics we get true solar zenith passages which we don't get farther north and at 15 degrees north latitude which is the latitude of lake atitlan which i just named as the creation place it is precisely 260 days between one solar zenith passage and the next. So that may be uh, the actual astronomical origin of this 260-day calendar. Uh, of course, they... Then uh, you also spoke, uh, I, I believe once again you were quoting from Mr. Burns, that uh, there is an affinity between the sky and the human being. Okay, so 260 is also the number of a human being because we have, uh, they, they think of uh, 260 as 13 times 20. We have 20 digits, fingers and toes, and 13 major joints or articulations in the human body. So uh, the sky is the macrocosm, and the human body is the microcosm, as we find in so many other astrological systems. Right. Uh, yeah. That seems really crucial. Okay, so let's talk about that with the calendar at this point, where mm -hmm. 
um, astronomical time was viewed as a series of interlocking cycles where the greatest cycles were connected to the periodic creation and destruction of the world and that they accurately measured the solar year of 365 days but mm -hmm. there was also a separate day count of 260 days that was mm -hmm. used for divination um, and used alongside or in parallel of the solar year um, and that as you just mentioned the numbers 13 and 20 were of great yeah. significance to the mayans right um it now, that part about the solar zenith uh, passage is not remembered. Um, they, they gave me various different explanations for the 260, uh, none of which were astronomical. Uh, but it, the, the simple fact that those three volcanoes, which represent the three hearthstones, are at the exact same latitude where we have the 260 days uh, um, solar zenith transit, this does not seem to be accidental or coincidental. Uh, it, it, there seems to be a link there. But in terms of interpreting a person's birth chart, uh, they, ne they don't use the solar calendar at all. Um, well, it, with one exception, the year, each year has a name. Uh, and the year in which you were born has an influence in natal astrology. And this is true both of the Aztecs from the period of the conquest, and it's true of the Maya today. Uh, and yet, uh, interpretation of human personality is based entirely on the 260-day calendar. Yeah. Uh, the 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 twenty uh, the twenty uh, we we would call those uh, day signs, and uh, these are really the archetypes of of Mesoamerican civilization, and the most important factor in any birth chart, whether uh, ancient or modern. And it's the the thirteen numbers modify the twenty days. For example, let's say you were born on the day of the eagle. Uh, a person born on five eagle will be extremely different than a person born on thirteen eagle. Okay. So at some point, using this um, calendar uh, that's connected with this cycle of 260 days, mm -hmm. um, this at some point, this is used for mundane astrology, but at some point it starts being used for what we might call natal astrology, which is just the um, alignment of the cosmos on the day you were born. And in right. that sense, it's focused on just the day you were born, not necessarily the, the exact like, time you were born, right? They don't have anything uh, uh, which corresponds to a rising sign or an ascendant. No. Uh, usually, they just take the day. Um, there, It was one astrologer, a very gifted uh <clears throat> individual uh 
Carlos Barrios, who has written one of the major books on the subject, and that was translated into English. Uh, he had developed a way of counting hours, although since there have to be 20 rather than 24, because 20 is what it's all about, each hour is more like 72 minutes rather than, than like 60. Uh, but it never went into common usage. I had never even heard about it until I ended up just by accident, uh, living in the same boarding house as Carlos Barrios himself. And we had many uh, conversations uh, about astrology. And yes, he did have a system, but it remains unique to him. It was never adopted by the astrological community at large among the Maya. Right. Okay. Do you there have are a... in, any number of things that have been introduced and some stick and some don't in that right. sense, it's like any other form of astrology. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I was just curious in terms of broad parallels with the, the Mesopotamian and the Greco-Roman uh -huh. Greco traditions. So we're focused on um, the calendar, this 260-day calendar. And mm -hmm. in that context, at the opening of your more recent book, Mayan Calendar Astrology, you say that that calendar was connected with um, sacred time. What do you right. mean by that? Or what does that, where does that come into play, okay. the difference between um, sacred and ordinary time? Ordinary time is simply the passage of the days, uh, when to plant, when to harvest, uh, when to hold, you know, festivals for more rain, uh, and just as a way of uh, practical timekeeping, uh, when we say sacred time, we are talking about rituals. For example, if uh, someone came to me and asked me for a saturacion, which means a healing ceremony, I would never perform it on a dog day or a crocodile day or um, a storm day. I would perform it on a flint knife day or um, a rabbit day, uh, you know, because these are the signs that are associated with healing. So uh, it measures sacred time in uh, the sense that it gives us our um, guidelines for when to perform important ceremonies and rituals. And yes, mundane, mundane astrology now is somewhat different because there we do pay attention to the year uh, of the 365-day calendar, uh, but when we talk about ritual and ceremony, when we talk about divination, um, which is, is, uh, already, uh, when we talk about ritual, uh, one could substitute the term electional astrology. Uh, when we talk about, uh, the divination, uh, 
you know, simply asking a question, should I go into business with my brother? And then what do the uh, uh, 260 days have to say about it? Then, then we're uh, talking about horary astrology and natal uh, astrology, the personality of an individual is also determined by uh, the 260-day calendar. Okay. So, so maybe that's an interesting thing that one of the things that naturally arises from developing in the earliest stages, some form of mundane astrology is that cultures eventually then develop um, the idea that there might be certain days that are more or less auspicious in order to do certain things, which becomes a form of like electional and inceptional astrology. Precisely. Precisely. Uh, for example, uh, if you wanted to uh, heal a quarrel between two lovers and make a little magic about it, you would never choose to do so on a day when Venus is retrograde and Mars is squaring it. Right, sure. Right. Um, Western astrology. In in Western astrology, uh, and in much the same way, uh, if we wanted to heal a quarrel between two lovers, we would do it on an Akbal day, which has no pronounce, uh, precise uh, uh, translation. Dawn is. It actually means darkness, but. Uh, uh, they are when they they teach you, and they teach you, by the way, by uh, oral phrases because uh, reading and writing is sometimes rare in these uh, Mayan villages. But they teach you that it means uh, dawn, uh, and so including the dawning of love, the dawning of romance, or we might uh, choose to do such a ceremony on uh, a day called bots and bots in the Kiche language has two meanings. One is monkey, which is how it's known all over the Mesoamerican world. But in Kiche, uh, bots also means a thread that is woven. So you're weaving the thread of good relationship on a bots day. Uh, so yeah, in that respect, it is electional. Uh, we would never do um, a, a ceremony to bring lovers into harmony again on a Tihash day because Tihash means flint knife and a warrior holds a flint knife. And yet they tell you, um, and this is where it really does begin to resemble uh, electional astrology. They will also tell you that a surgeon holds a flint knife to cut out uh, infections or other things that should not be in your body. So um, a love ceremony would never be held on uh, a flint knife day, but a healing ceremony would be. Hmm. Okay. So in that sense, yes, it's it's definitely electional. So it's like you have the this system of two hundred and sixty overlapping archetypes or 
are they are they pictograms can you call them that but they but that each of them with the names and words that are used for them are encodes some sort of archetype or or myth or like knowledge about what that means yes although even though the the names of some of the days vary between the different cultures uh there are some well basically the the 20 days just are what they are there's just a few of them that have different names depending on uh, different cultures because we have to remember that uh, it's more than a thousand miles from central Mexico to the Mayan country. Uh, so of course the uh, there and we're talking about a time frame that starts you know at least several hundred years BC and doesn't uh, fall under attack until the 1500s. So there's differences in time and differences between cultures but in general the 20 day signs are the archetypes indeed and in fact uh when i was studying they told me go and read the mayan creation epic because all 20 day signs can be found there and since this is their book of myth uh this is one clue that we have that the 20 day signs are in fact the archetypes uh and so i read it and went back and i said hey i did really good i found 16 out of 20 and they said that's wonderful now go back and read it again till you find the other four uh and also um the soul, the human soul, is believed to be divided into two parts, which we might call a yin part and a yang part. And the more active yang part, which can journey in visions, can journey in dreams, which uh, does not die when the body dies, but instead, you know, travels through the underworld and then back into a new incarnation. Um, this also. Uh, that this part of the soul is also uh, ruled by or the day sign. For instance, I was born on a day called Imosh, which has no exact translation. And so my Yang soul, my deep soul, uh, is simply called Imosh. And, and the word for that part of uh, your soul is the same as the word for a day sign. So here, once again, we see the uh, very strong identification between the archetypal patterns of the sky, in this case, the 260-day uh, solar uh, zenith passage, between uh, the uh, um, movements of the sky and the archetypes of human personality. Brilliant. Okay. The next section I wanted to get into is how um, the ancient Mayan astrologers had a keen awareness of the predictable and cyclic nature of the skies, and that Venus was actually very important in many Mesoamerican cultures. Um, so one of the things I thought was really interesting I was reading about was the Mayan building known as the Palace of the Governor, which dates to the 9th and 10th centuries, or is thought to, 
is supposed mm -hmm. to be oriented to the northern and southernmost rising points of Venus mm -hmm. and was also covered in glyphs representing Venus. Um, and that one of the cycles that they focused on was the synodic period of 584 to 587 days between conjunctions of Venus and the right. sun. Mm -hmm. So Venus played a pretty important role um, for them. We also have another document that, that one of the few documents that survives is known as the Dresden Codex. Mm -hmm. And um, this tracks the cycles of Venus extremely accurately. And I think you told me privately that it was better even than some Arabic or European ephemerides at the time or of that time period. Probably. Uh, some people have characterized uh, characterized it as perfect, uh, but this is, um, it's a wonderful piece of cultural enthusiasm, but it's not precisely true. The Dresden Codex is not perfect, but yes, it is probably more accurate than a lot of uh, contemporary uh, um, planetary tables from Europe. During, okay. uh, uh, it, it depends on uh, what era uh, we're talking about. Uh, for example, uh, you mentioned Ushmal, uh, which, yeah, would be somewhere around 1000 uh, CE uh, when Yucatan begins to flourish after the time of the classic Maya. And uh, the Dresden Codex is probably much, well, a couple of hundred years later, uh, around about 11 or 1200 CE. And now we have uh, found something new and it is so new that it could not have been in Mr. Burns's uh, book. Uh, like I, I mentioned earlier, the, the, the picture is just changing all the time. There was always a fourth Mayan codex called the originally called the Grolier codex because that was the name of the owner. And some scholars thought it was for real and others dismissed it as a fake. It has now been authenticated as real, renamed the Mexican Codex because it was found in Mexico. <coughs> Excuse me, in Mexico. And um, it's also of the four codices, it's the earliest and dates back to around the same era as Ushmal, and it includes the Cyanotic um, cycle of, of Venus. So oh, wow. now, okay. now we have, uh, and like I said, this is within the last year that, the, that it was authenticated. Uh, now we have yet another um, example of the Cyanotic uh uh, tables uh, 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 tables of the synodic motion of Venus. And the frustrating thing here is because all natal interpretation is based on the 260-day calendar 
we have no idea whether they were using these uh, synodic uh, periods for interpretation of human personality or whether this is in fact a very early example of purely observational astronomy. Mm, okay. We just don't know. Yeah. One of the things I thought interesting, one of the myths associated with the Venus um, in Mayan mythology, the serpent god, um, how do you pronounce the name? So I don't... Quetzalcoatl, uh, feathered serpent. Quetzal is a bird and koatl means snake. So therefore feathered serpent. And okay. uh, yes. And, uh, and, that, and that god to, to... is associated with the planet Venus and it's supposed to be um, a god of wisdom who goes into the underworld and acquires all of the knowledge of the hereafter and the future. And as I was reading that, I was thinking if that's true, that's a really amazing parallel with Anana slash Ishtar in the Mesopotamian tradition. Right. Just like the Mayan hero twins that I mentioned earlier, who uh, live in a world where the only light is Venus as the morning star, then they travel to the underworld. They go through the death and rebirth uh, experienced. Then they emerge again and set out the three hearthstones, which I said are still remembered by people in villages. Um, and here again, we see uh, the death and rebirth cycle of Venus, which is so familiar to us from the Inanna Ishtar myth. There's another uh, version. Uh, yeah, there is one version where Quetzalcoatl does go into uh, the underworld. Uh, but the most popular version of his story is that he was a king and a very uh, enlightened one. But then the uh, trickster god, Smoking Mirror, comes to him, uh, confuses him, gets him drunk. Uh, he commits incest with his sister. So he's cast out like an outcast who can only wander alone and abandoned. So here we go from life to death. And then finally, because you know, he was an enlightened ruler. The gods come to him and they transform him into Venus as the evening star. So here with uh, Quetzalcoatl associated with Venus and wisdom and all the other things that you mentioned, once again, we have that life, death, and rebirth motif. But we don't know if it played a role in natal astrology and the delineation of human character. Right. And that whole cycle um, of the, like in the Mesopotamian tradition, Anana's descent uh -huh. into the underworld was connected with Venus um, going retrograde and then entering, going under the beams of the sun, which was uh -huh. conceptualized as the underworld. And then eventually emerging from the beams of the sun um, where it could be viewed again as a morning star in the mornings. And so there's probably some sort of similar perhaps thing here connected with this notion of the maybe the under the beams being the underworld astronomically or symbolically. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Uh, um, as I. I think I mentioned it, uh, 
Dennis Tedlock, uh, the anthropologist who was the first uh, uh, that I know of to ever, he, he broke the boundaries of, uh, um, uh, what would you call it, uh, objective anthropology and became initiated uh, by a daykeeper in Momostanango. Uh, and he counted the days because they mentioned several days in the 260-day calendar. He counted the days uh, that the hero twins were in the underworld experiencing the lords of death and then returning, you know, uh, to create a new world. And he discovered that uh, they... Uh, because and he he knew the codices uh, very well uh, that this corresponded to a disappearance of Venus. So yeah, the idea that Ishtar is in the underworld while Venus is invisible, uh, the idea that the hero twins are in the underworld while Venus is invisible seems to be. Uh, and the the fact that you know they they create uh, wonderful new things, you know, Ishtar was sometimes considered as a goddess of battle, but after she emerges from the underworld, she's a goddess of love, and uh, people were in darkness before the hero twins went to the underworld, and when they emerged and set the hearthstones, the sun for a new world age comes up so um yeah the, those parallels are remarkable i think i agree with you there a hundred percent uh they they are seeing it in the same way does that get to the core of something that's always interested you it seems like that flows through your work which is the study of mythology in different cultures and sometimes the, the comparison yeah. of mythology to in different cultures yes absolutely yeah um, the, the the myths that underlie uh, the Mesoamerican astrology are the uh, the real fascination. My teacher always used to tell me that my knowledge of the day signs, which I called the archetypes of that civilization, your knowledge of the day signs is better than your knowledge of the numbers, you know, because the numbers are si uh, simply uh, an indigenous numerology system that modify the day signs. Uh, but yeah, it was the, the myths that kept me going. Because the myths are connected with the, the 20 day signs. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause that was, I mean, you, that was part of what we talked about last time you were on the podcast was you've written one of my favorite books on the nakshatras and yeah. you focus very much on the on the myths surrounding each of them. Um, <clears throat> yeah, because uh, the nakshatras are unusual. Instead of the uh, usual uh, Hindu deities like Lakshmi and Kali and uh, um, Krishna, uh, they're all named for deities from the most ancient text, the Rig Veda. And they all take their interpretation from those deities. Okay. <laughs> Excuse me. I'm just needing a little water. Yeah. No problem. Um, 
to what extent do you feel like mythology is is truly a core access point for understanding astrology at a, at a deeper level based on your comparisons of the mythology that shows up in astrology and all these different cultures? I would say that uh, um, the mythology probably plays a greater role in Mesoamerican uh, interpretation than any other culture I know of. Um, and when the first uh, Hellenistic texts began to be available to us, um, I was very interested, but also very surprised at the uh, absence of mythological themes in Hellenistic astrology. Yeah, that it, it focuses more almost on a abstract or like systemized, like technical construct. Exactly. Of yeah. Interpretation instead of the myths themselves. Although it is interesting, I did the episode, an episode with Demetra on Anana last month, and uh -huh. we talked. We talked about how it was so interesting in the earlier Mesopotamian tradition how you had an example of a myth that might be encoding certain core not just astronomical but also almost like astrological meanings in that earlier stage of that tradition i think if you look hard enough um the uh myths do appear for example um it is often said that uh Saturn is the master of harbors and har people who work in harbors. And yet there does not appear to be anything relating to the Greek chronos, um, which would explain this attribution. However, if we go back as far as Babylon, and uh, Ninib uh, or Ninurta uh, for Saturn, we find that he was the god of uh, water with boundaries, irrigation ditches, and so on and so forth. Uh, and I, I've often wondered how much of Babylon remains in Greek or Hellenistic interpretation. Uh, right. But in... Uh, Mesoamerican astrology, it's just right on the surface. Got it. Okay. So um, I wanted to talk about next how um, the Mesoamerican cultures also believed in celestial portents, especially or including those of an unexpected or disruptive nature, mm -hmm. which to me seems in keeping with most forms of divination that have developed around the world. Right. Um, and uh, in the Burns article, they mentioned in particular at one point that the Aztecs who survived the Spanish conquest remembered the invasion as having been preceded by disastrous signs such as a comet, a comet and a flaming column in the air. Yes, this is true. Uh, there are uh, Aztec uh, documents, some of them fairly early, that mention that comet 
comet, and I think uh, there were there was uh, a major eclipse. Uh, eclipses are so often found in, in this kind of uh, mundane uh, astrology, political astrology. We we often come across uh, eclipses. And in the Chilam Balam books, uh, which were written by the Maya during the colonial period, in secret, uh, so that the Spanish wouldn't know that they were writing this stuff down, uh, for the 20-year cycle, which is called Katun 13, they say there will be an eclipse of five days. Now, of course, a lot of people could have uh, remembered stories from their great-great-great-grandfathers who had been through the last uh, um, Katun 13, and they would have known perfectly well that there had never been an eclipse of five days. But this is sometimes used just as a poetic metaphor for the world turned upside down. You know, Pachacuti, or as the Hopi would say, Koyanaskatsi. Uh, it... Um, Eclipses are a metaphor for uh, ev everything in the world uh, going wrong. Yeah, uh, out of uh, out of sequence, out of uh, pattern. Yeah, I wanted to talk about that because that's actually one of the pages of the the Dresden Codex, which okay. I found a, an image from on Wikipedia. Talks about uh -huh. eclipses. Um, so eclipses are in the in the Dresden Codex and. Um, eclipse prediction was one of the important goals of Mesoamerican calendrical science. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought it was interesting that eclipses were also in the Mesoamerican tradition considered to be heralds of disaster, mm -hmm. um, which is a pretty interesting parallel with Western practices that also tended to view eclipses negatively as well. Mm -hmm. And and even the uh, poetic metaphor of the five-day eclipse can be found uh, in Hindu mythology because when uh, uh, the heroes of the Mahabharata, the, the Pandava brothers, when they lose everything in a game of dice and are cast out as uh, you know refugees, no longer kings, uh, there are many celestial portents surrounding this, including a five-day eclipse, okay. which we also find in, in, as a metaphor of uh, things gone wrong uh, in the Chalam Balam books uh, of the Maya. Okay, got it. So, um, so omens, though, there was at least some sort of tradition of like omenology Mm -hmm. which which is similar to like Mesopotamia and other cultures and of seeing signs in nature of like nature providing signs about events in the present or um, implying something about the future. Oh yeah. Yes. And, and there, there still are, um, for example, um, what, when, what, what was it? Uh, 10, eek, 11. Yeah. Okay. Uh, at one time, uh, you know, the, the Mayan solar year can only begin on one of four days. Different cultures used different uh, groups of four days. Uh, nowadays, they use uh, Kek the deer, 
followed by eh, the road of life, followed by noch, which means thought, followed by ik, which means the wind. And uh, early in my travels in Guatemala, I went to a family home uh, ceremony in which uh, we said farewell to the year 10 ich in the solar calendar uh, and said hello to the year 11 kek. And the predictions of what the year is likely to be like uh, are directly related to the name of the year, the, the four names and the 13 numbers uh, that accompany them. So in other words, uh, uh, a year, the year 11 deer, which I participated in the ceremony for that uh, year, uh, would be quite different than the predictions for uh, the year five thought. Um, so they still do it. Yeah. To a certain okay. degree. In the um in the Mesopotamian tradition, in terms of like the conceptualization of that, I came across years ago this um like cuneiform tablet that mm -hmm. Francesca Rocheberg had translated, and it said, um, sky and earth together produce omens, each is separate but not divided. Sky and earth are interconnected. A sign which is bad in the sky is bad on earth, and a sign which is bad on earth is bad in the sky. Um, is there essentially like a similar conceptualization of some sort in the Mesoamerican tradition? I haven't done uh, a huge amount of study in the mundane astrology because I'm more focused on the natal. Uh, but um, I would suspect that this is true. Uh, when I look back in my mind over the way that the Maya simply think about things in life, uh, I would have to say, uh, yes, this is probably true. Okay. Um, so that brings up the like natal astrology. And at what point did the Mesoamerican cultures develop a concept of natal astrology? Do we have evidence that it was from before the connection with Europeans who naturally by oh, this yes, 15th. yes, yes. Okay. Actually, uh, okay. Uh, we are unclear as to the classic Maya uh, from uh, 250 CE to roughly 900 CE. We, which, and I mentioned this because that's where we find the largest number uh, of hieroglyphic texts. So this is where we would expect to find it. Um, and to the best of my knowledge, uh, there are a lot of scholars who say, oh, everybody was named after the day that they were born in the calendar. Well, this was true in the Nahuatl language, and I will get into that in just a minute. But with the classic Maya, we simply do not know. We know that they chose particular days to dedicate public buildings or to crown a new king. Uh, so there's the electional again. Uh, and, and the 
what I call the horary, you know, the divinatory uh, um, uh, aspect seems to be uh, also very, very early in the game. Uh, but even though we have a very large text about the life of uh, the king of Palenque, Pakal the Great, which tells us his whole life story, and anybody who had cared to study this text would have known from the very beginning that the Maya did not believe the world would completely end in 2012 because they say that in this text that he will be reborn and take the throne again on a particular day, which is in 4,772 CE. Uh, but in the beginning, when they describe his birth and the ceremonies that his parents did for him, there is no mention of his uh, um, horoscope, uh, except that they note that he was born on a particular day, eight Ahau. But he never took that as a name. Now, the Aztecs did indeed take um, calendar names. And th this is one point where uh, I can't not entirely agree uh, with Mr. Burns, because he said it was only for royalty and aristocrats, you know, the higher level of... Uh, uh, state administrators and rulers, and yet um, the individual who experienced the vision of Guadalupe. Which was what? The, which, oh, the, the Virgin of Guadalupe? Just assume I, I sometimes I try to like not take it for granted that the audience doesn't know anything we're talking okay, about. Okay. Well, yeah. Yes. Uh, uh, for those of, for those of us who live in uh, uh, states with a lot of uh, Spanish-speaking people, uh, the apparition or appearance of the Virgin Mary as the Virgin of Guadalupe is so common that you see it everywhere you know just walk down the street any grocery store uh in in certain neighborhoods so it's very common but uh this was a vision that appeared to um a peasant in uh ancient mexico shortly just a few years really after the spanish conquest but and and they had christianized him by force and baptized him by force as Juan Diego, and so they always called him. But we know for a fact that he was named after uh, the day that he was born in the calendar, say uh, Sepakli, one alligator. Um, and we are therefore pretty certain that even common people practiced Aztec natal astrology before the conquest. How mm. far back does it go? 
um, it might go back quite a long ways. Uh, each new capital of the Mesoamerican world was described, depending on the dialect, as Tula or Tolan. And the word Toltec, as in, you know, uh, uh, Secret of the Toltecs, Magic of the Toltecs, and all these other New Age books that you see, uh, comes from the same root. The Toltecs were the original people of uh, Tula, and it, the uh, Aztecs always claimed that they were following the Toltec wisdom. Now, were there any historical Toltecs? There is a site called Tula Hidalgo, and the archaeologists used to say, oh, they were just basing all of this on Tula Hidalgo. And um, yet there was another camp who said, no, no, it looks like every place, uh, even places very far away from central Mexico, were, were calling their capital cities Tula. And now we have figured out, um, thanks to uh, David Stewart, he, he's the... Uh, uh, a, a linguist and epigrapher uh, who deciphers Mayan hieroglyphs for the Smithsonian Institution. And uh, he figured out from a text in uh, a Mayan city in uh, Guatemala that the great, huge, enormous city of Teotihuacan near Mexico City was also called Tula, and that the original Toltecs seems to mean the people from Teotihuacan. And this takes us back to around 200 BC. So um, it is probably fair to say that uh, natal astrology in the Nahuatl language which was the language spoken by the Aztecs and probably in Teotihuacan, uh, it dates back to probably almost a thousand years before the conquest. Okay. And uh, it, do you have uh, um, for screen sharing? Uh, I, I sent you a page, which is let me see what is what the exact title is. Uh, Borbonicus page. Do you have yeah. that with you? Here's okay. the full page that shows up better. So what is what are we looking at? What we are looking at is an actual um, almanac from um, Aztec times. And in the upper um left as you are facing the page the large square shows the deities associated with the 13 day period and then you will see little dots uh, for numbers from 1 to 13 and if you can bring up the um 
uh, I don't know if it even came through. Yes, that. This one? Yes. There there we see uh, how they would have interpreted uh, for someone born on the day three deer. We can see in the bottom uh, panel the number three and then uh somebody somebody uh uh who spoke spanish after the conquest has written in the word venado which is the the spanish word for deer three venado this so this is a, a pictorial representation of a person born on three uh deer and we see the deer and we see the deity uh, who is associated with that um, particular day sign and who gives his or her characteristics to the person. And then above, we see uh, a, a rather mysterious factor called the Lord of the Night. And we're not sure exactly uh, how these were calculated or interpreted, but they seem to represent, in terms of interpretation, it is commonly believed that they represent uh, the challenges inherent in your horoscope. And since there are um, 13 day signs in a 13-day period, but there are only nine lords of the night they overlap. So it's possible to be born on an excellent day, but have a Lord of the night who is very, very difficult and represents the challenges in your horoscope. It's also possible to be born uh, on a good day, like three deer, uh, with a lord of the night who is a very helpful god or goddess and therefore simply enhances your horoscope. And the little bird who is, was shown above the uh, um, lord of the night, we've identified all the birds now. And the birds, uh, they're, they're, there's 13 of them. There's a different uh, one for each day sign. And they also play a role in establishing a person's character, uh, much as, and I know that, you know, in many ways, this is a, a very simplistic newspaper form of Western astrology, but when they say that Taurus people, talking sun signs, of course, uh, when they say that Taurus sun people are slow but dedicated and usually peaceful but prone to temper and uh, so on and so forth, they are, of course, interpreting the person's character in terms of the animal associated with the sign of the zodiac. And uh, in Western astrology, this is, of course, simplistic uh, to a, 
point that some of us might find painful. But uh, on the other hand, in uh, Aztec astrology, the bird that goes with your sign uh, is interpreted differently in the sense that your character has to do not only with um, the day sign, but with the bird. And then uh, there's the influence of the, the deity who rules the day sign and the lord of the night. Uh, so we have at least one, two, three, four. And if we count the 13-day period, five, at least five factors that we know about that were used in uh, ancient uh, astrology in the Nahuatl language, possibly going back uh, to 200 BC with Teotihuacan, and certainly surviving to a limited degree, at least after the Spanish conquest, because we do know the name of the peasant who uh, had the vision of Our Lady of Guadalupe. Mm, we okay. know his calendar. We know the day that he was born. Therefore, we could interpret his horoscope. Mm, okay. So that brings us to another thing I want to talk about, which is that I was reading that Mesoamericans linked astrology and medicine, and that the Aztecs in particular viewed the body as like a microcosm of the universe in a way that's very similar to some of the, the practices in Mesopotamia and other areas, mm -hmm. um, that they connected the heart with the sun, that gold was also related to the sun and was used in medical treatments, and that there was also potentially an Aztec version of the the quote-unquote Zodiac Man or what's known in oh, Western yes. it, astrology. It's, it's found in a codex called the Codex Vaticanus. Um, and it's uh, a picture. There it is. Uh, as you can see, each portion of the human body is associated with one of the 20 day signs. And this has lasted throughout time, even though the Maya now give different in attributions for the most part, uh, the the day sign associated with the heart uh, and sometimes with the sun is still the same. Uh, the day sign associated uh, with the genitalia, the serpent, is still the same. Uh, others have changed over the years, but that was another thing that, uh, that you have to learn. Oh, and do they have Yes, they do. The dog is associated with the nose because the dog has such a remarkable sense of smell. Uh, they, they still have this. Uh, since this is uh, one of the... This clear, is a survival, yeah. Since, since this is uh, one of our first like really clear images that has the 20 day signs, would you mind like walking us through in order like what each of the day signs, what their names is for these symbols? Okay. So it looks like number one starts over with the deer on the bottom left, right? Yes. And that, uh, okay, so there's the deer. Um, and so that's day symbol number one, or like are these listed these in the are correct not order? In order is, okay. is, uh, 
is the thing uh, that issue okay that that's that's the issue and i don't know the aztec uh uh symbols as well as i know the uh um mayan ones so maybe this wouldn't be then a good illustration to use to do that yeah i wouldn't be able to do it okay uh, no completely. problem yeah because uh the the this Nahuatl tradition is no longer practiced, and I was only taught uh, um, what is practiced. Uh, and okay, no problem. Yet, yeah, okay. So maybe then let's just round out talking about. So do you think that these so these medical assignments? I was seeing conflicting things that these may have existed from pre-Columbian times. These body part assignments with the day signs, whereas other sources were saying that this may have happened um, when they started being in, exposed to European astrology that already had their zodiac man that connected you know, the head with the first sign of the zodiac right. Aries uh -huh. and then the second sign all the way down to the feet. Do you know if this is a pre-existing thing or is this something that starts to emerge out of a, a synthesis of Mesoamerican well, and European this astrology? Particular, this particular codex is from after the conquest so from this diagram alone uh, we would not be able to make a determination however the fact that uh, the maya also have a what you would call a zodiac man and that this has obviously survived the ages would lead me to believe that it's probably earlier than, than the conquest hmm. um, okay unless unless we wanted to say that uh uh the aztecs borrowed from westerners and made up their attributions and then the maya borrowed from the westerners and made up a different set of attributions uh but mm, i'm suspecting that it's old okay so that brings up one last point for the medical part, which is that I was reading that the day when an illness first manifested itself was also thought to be astrologically significant. And if mm -hmm. that's true, that's interesting because then it parallels the Western practice of decumbiture charts. Yes. And uh, we know that uh, the Mayan form of divination, uh, what they do is like when you're initiated, you receive a bag full of uh, 260 seeds from the wild coral tree. And then you scoop up, when a person asks you a question, you scoop up uh, uh, some of the uh, seeds with your hands, lay them out in little groups of four, and then count them as if they were the days of the 260-day calendar. But where do we begin our count? Um, if a person is asking a real-world question, uh, like the one I mentioned earlier, should I go into business with my brother? Then, you know, since today is um, Six Eagle, uh, they would start counting with Six Eagle. But um, if, in fact... they were asking a question simply about themselves and their own spiritual path, and they were born on the day three 
Jaguar, we would start counting uh, from three Jaguar. Now, when a person falls ill and uh, comes to a daykeeper to say, what is the source of my illness? Because in Mayan culture, it is always believed that uh, there are always two sources for any illness, one of which is purely physical and the other of is psychological or metaphysical. Uh, and usually one is very well aware, uh, you know, um, of the physical source. I mean, if you're sneezing and coughing after having spent the night out in the rain, it's rather obvious what the physical cause of your illness is. But they would also feel that there is a psychological illness. And so the uh, daykeeper would, again, take up the seeds, lay them out, and begin counting in order to determine you know, the spiritual source of the illness. But then... If the person had fallen sick on the day, um, just for example, uh, uh, seven thought, we would count from seven thought. Uh, you know, and, and in this sense, yes, it's very similar to decumbiture. Okay, okay, that's really interesting. So um, that brings us to one of the final points, which is that, um, as I was reading in Burns, that the, while the main focus of Mes Mesoamerican astrology was the welfare of the community as a whole and its harmony with the cosmos, which is what we would mm -hmm. usually classify as, as mundane astrology, mm -hmm. um, there was evidence that there may have been consulting astrologers who gave advice to individuals on the basis of their interpretation of the skies in pre-Columbian Mesoamerica. Um, but that unfortunately, the evidence for this largely relies on the accounts of Spanish um, post-conquest chronicler's, right. uh -huh. and that it, unfortunately, the notebooks of these um, calendrical shamans did not survive the conquest. This is, for the most part, true. Uh, if a head of state or a king of some particular kingdom, or the lord of a Mayan city-state was concerned about coming political events, then we have a lot of good reasons to believe that they would have summoned um, an astrologer uh, we would say a daykeeper, because uh, it amounts to the same thing. Daykeepers were supposed to understand not only the attributes of the 20 day signs and everything else involved, they were also supposed to uh, um, be experts in the sky. And this is one thing... I, 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 I mentioned earlier the Shultun uh, workshop where we actually uncovered um, some 11 years ago now a workshop where they trained scribes and in addition to the training in writing hieroglyphics we see m maps of time cycles which 
obviously have an astronomical basis. So we know that the scribes were usually daykeepers who also had a knowledge of astronomy. And these are the people upon whom the uh, lords and kings would call when they wanted advice. Okay, so that's like with the Mesopotamian tradition where sometimes the, the astronomers and the astrologers were one and the same and exactly, that there was, yeah. to a certain extent, some interchangeability possibly between what we now classify as like separate fields. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and when when we are frustrated because uh, the, the Dresden Codex, uh, for example, uh, you know, gives us all these wonderful cycles of Venus and the Sinotic and uh, the uh, appearances and disappearances uh, and so on and so forth. Um, and yet it has absolutely nothing to do with human personality, it is possible that these tables of planetary motion, like the ones we find on the walls in Ushmal, were intended to assist with these mundane predictions. They, they don't appear in natal astrology, but they would have been important for determining political events. And one important clue to this is that uh, Tikal chose to start a war against another city called Caracol during a Jupiter-Venus conjunction. And in the monument they raised about their successful campaign uh, against Caracol, we find the hieroglyphs for both Jupiter and Venus, and uh, as well as the date that they staged their invasion. And if you look up that date uh, on a computer, you will find that there was a conjunction of Jupiter and Venus on that date. So therefore, uh, many of these tables, which appear to be purely scientific astronomy, may have been used for these kinds of purposes and not for natal astrology, which was based entirely on the 260-day calendar. But it, it's very, very possible. I think I would say probable that uh, these factors were all used in um, uh, um, advising rulers and overlords about uh, the political climate of the times and whether it was auspicious for them to make a certain move or a certain uh, policy change, etc. Okay, got it. So um, let's see, one of the things to start transitioning into the like intermediate and then modern period is, I think you said to me when we were pre preparing at one point that most of the Spanish chroniclers cannot be trusted since they were right. clerics who were regarding who often regarded this knowledge as a like a quote-unquote tool of satan because they exactly yes they would look they would look at some of like the illustrations and stuff and stuff and, and interpret it as if it was like satanic imagery or something like that well simply because it wasn't christianity it was therefore satanic to them 
Hmm. Um, uh, and as I said earlier, the only exception to that rule is Bernardino Sahagun. Uh, how he ever ended up as a high-ranking churchman, I have no idea because he's purely objective in the way he records things. Okay. But otherwise, um, there was like a systematic attempt to suppress and like destroy that knowledge and especially the the writings of it Diego, at that time. The, Diego de Landa, who was the archbishop of Yucatan shortly after the conquest, actually boasts of how he burned all the uh, books of the Maya. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, so there was just tons and tons of of that tradition of the the wisdom that was collected that that was basically lost at that time. Yeah. Yes. Um. Uh. Which is one of the reasons why I find it interesting. Uh, what survived and what did not. Um. Uh. The. Inten the, the, the intensely detailed astronomical knowledge did not survive. The natal delineations of the day signs did survive. And some of the myths having to do with the sky, like the one I mentioned about Orion or uh, the appearance and disappearance of uh, Venus also uh, survived. So some of that was survived through through the myths and through an oral tradition. Yes, um, one of the reasons why uh, I went to Momostanango was because it, it's known for having the greatest level of survival, and this is because. It's 7,500 feet up in the mountains, higher even than you, higher even than Santa Fe. Uh, it's 7,500 feet up in the mountains, and there's only one road that leads there. And the people who lived there were the Quiche Maya, who were great warriors and very rebellious against the Spaniards. So no Spanish troops wanted to go on that little winding mountain road. And consequently, Momostanango was never disturbed. And uh, the Catholic Church made its peace with Momos a long time ago. I, I've been to ceremonies, uh, you know, where the old gods were called upon, where we did the ceremony in the cathedral of Momos. Um, so uh, the, the Catholics made their peace with it. And the Spanish military overlords were afraid to go there. And consequently, uh, more knowledge survived there than anywhere else. I'm trying to rescue it because uh, the Internet and, and TV and cell phones are having a very strong negative effect um, of what I first experienced during my first journey there in uh, February of 2010. About half of it is already gone. Oh, wow. Okay. So th that's why I am trying to conserve it, preserve it. Uh, I, you know, because uh, the, the, the Momo Stakens are, they're, they're pretty much the last. Fortunately, in uh, December of 1996, 
when uh, the peace accords were signed for the terrible 15-year Guatemalan civil war, um, the Maya were given their religious freedom. So now uh, people come from all over Guatemala to study in Momostenango, and then now it is starting to spread all over the country, and the old ways are coming back. So uh, the survival in a certain way is probably assured, uh, but there were details that, that I saw vanishing uh, and wanted to preserve. Yeah. Okay. And here's a map. So this is, as you said, this is in Guatemala. Yeah. Um, yeah. And see if we zoom okay. in here. Antigua. Uh Santa Cruz del Quiche. Yeah, this this is it right here, just above uh, uh, where where the the red uh, marking is. That's where Momos is from the where you can see the label that says Quetzaltenango, before just, below it. Yeah, just north. So it's just so north of there. you you t you get in what is called a chicken bus, and sometimes there are real live animals that peasants and farmers bring onto the bus. Paisanos, you know, campesinos, uh, country people, and uh, you get this jolting ride for an hour up that same mountain road that uh, the Spanish were so afraid of, and uh, about an hour later, you will end up in Momos. Uh, um, but in, in that region in general, they had the strongest survivors, uh, survivals of ancient ways, purely and simply because the Quiche were rebellious and great warriors and the Spanish were afraid of them. Okay. So um, in, in backing up just a little bit, so after the conquests, some Maya became interested in European astrology along with other aspects of the culture of the invaders. And this is where a book that you mentioned at one point comes in, I think, the books of Chalam Balam. That, that, that's true. There are were, uh, hold on two, a sec, which... there are two books of, uh, there are many books of Chalam Balam. Uh, the best known are the Chumayel and the Tizimin, but uh, it's the Chalam Balam of Mani and the Chalam Balam of Kawa that have the mixture of day sign astrology with um, Western astrology. Uh, the two scholars who translated the Chalam Balam of Kawa were able to trace uh, the Western information to a Spanish astronomical and astrological almanac of circa, I think, 1670 or thereabouts. Yeah, that's what I was reading, that this was a mm -hmm. 17th and 18th century compilation of yeah. European and indigenous um, materials for a Maya audience, uh -huh. some of which was translated and some was in the original language, but that it included some European astronomical and astrological works? Yes, yeah. Uh, they, they took phrases... Uh, for example, they would say, you know, month of Gemini, uh, and then give the little prediction from the almanac. And then they would have, and those who are born 
under the sign of the deer and those who are born under the sign of uh, the jaguar and so on and so forth, all of it mixed up together. Nice. So it's like, just like with every other tradition of astrology around the world, it's like when astrologers, when traditions come into contact with each other, they mm -hmm. start mixing and, and blending in different ways. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I cannot call it very sophisticated uh, or very much in depth, but apparently, uh, of course, there were many things about Western culture which the Maya did not like. They did not like having their villages burned, their women uh, uh, stolen, uh, high taxes, etc. But there were some things about Western culture that they liked, and astrology appears to have been one of them. Hmm. Okay. So... One of the things you wrote is that like the, well, and actually to expand on that point, I mean, that's something I've always noticed that just throughout history, anytime you put two astrologers in the room to get in a room together, they start talking and they start comparing their approaches uh -huh. and one way or one way or another, those approaches rub off on each other. And we've seen that in so many different cultures, like, you know, with the interfaces, many different interfaces between like Hellenistic or between Greek and Indian astrology uh -huh. and some of the interchange between those two cultures or um, eventually between like Mesopotamian astrology and there was eventually some interface with like Chinese astrology to some extent. Yeah. Uh -huh. It's just something like a commonality that astrologies will eventually tend to rub off on each other because astrologers have a tendency to, well, sometimes they can strongly disagree with each other um, sometimes even that disagreement can mm. cause interesting developments when you expose different traditions. And, and the Chalam Balam books, even though they include older material, which has been preserved, are primarily products of the 18th century. Mm. Okay. Uh, so uh, they had been under Spanish rule for almost a couple of hundred years. And there is a lot of um, mixture of tradition in the Chalam Balam books. Okay. So that, though, is something to be aware of, at least when going back and studying some of these traditions in terms of what we can know at different stages, and that when you start getting different traditions exposed to each other, sometimes we have to be careful of maybe there's some things rubbing off in different ways, um, which is something you have to deal with at any time you're studying the history of astrology is just being very aware of like what you can say about that tradition at different stages based on whatever evidence survives. Yeah, the same is true here. Okay. Yeah. Um, and the last thing is for that those books, you said that the amount of genuine astrological knowledge in the Chalambalam books is somewhat limited in terms of natal astrology, but that uh -huh. they give us a fair amount of knowledge about the cycles of human history that make up yes. the Mayan yes. long count. Uh-huh. Yes. Oh, the long count. Uh, yeah, uh, that might be. Th this is, uh, see, uh, all the peoples of Mesoamerica have a system of world ages, cycles of history, similar to the Hindu uh, yugas or pralayas. But each culture counts these cycles of history differently. The Maya seem to have developed uh, the most elaborate of, of all of them, which is called the long count, 
and it consists of 5,125 years for a world age and each world age is broken down into 13 uh, segments and each of those segments is broken down into 20 year segments and the Chalam Balam books give us each of those 20-year segments in some detail. Um, so that, that number 20 comes up again? Is that connected yeah. or? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's absolutely connected. Uh, uh, 20 is um, a completion just as you know if with our 20 digits and uh 13 uh our joints uh defines a human being 20 defines also periods of time periods of history 20 years and uh there will be 13 of them before it starts over again uh, and no, they don't count from 1 to 13. They count backwards by 2. In other words, uh, uh, the 20-year period number 12 would be succeeded by the one numbered 10, would be succeeded by the one numbered 8, and, and so on and so forth. Uh, okay. And uh, they're named for the day that they end. And the hieroglyph for it is the same as the hieroglyph for zero because in our culture zero means nothing or nothingness but in mayan culture it refers to the moment which is both the beginning and the end they, they perceived uh a begin an ending or the ending of a cycle and the beginning of the next cycle as a unit, a single moment. And uh, that was their definition of zero. Their, theirs is rather different than ours. Okay. Well, that brings us to the really important question. I'd like to take a break, but I, that's going to bring us to a really important question of like what happened with all the 2012 stuff um, when that was such oh, a phenomenon. Yeah, and okay. we'll we'll take a break and then we'll come back and answer that question. If you enjoy the Astrology Podcast and you'd like to find a way to support my work, then please consider becoming a patron through my page on patreon.com. In exchange, you'll get access to some great subscriber benefits, including early access to new episodes, the ability to attend the live forecast recordings, exclusive podcast episodes that are only for patrons, and more. Find out more information at patreon.com slash astrologypodcast. All right, so we're back from our break. So that brings us to um, another topic, one of the big later topics was just, you know, people that are around 10 years ago will know that there was a lot of um, kind of like hoopla, especially in the new age community about this idea that like the Mayan calendar was ending in 2012 and that that indicated somehow the end of the world or something like that. And while it was clear to many of us around the astrological community at that time that this was being 
hyped up and was was being sort of distorted in some weird ways for odd purposes um i wanted to talk to you and ask like what was what what happened there and what was the actual story okay what actually happened was uh it was very early in the 20th century that scholars figured out how to count the long count and within that long cycle of 5,125 years, beginning on August the 11th, 3,114 BC, and ending on December 21st, 2012, um, they had uh, figured out that... Uh, you know, it seemed to end in 2012 and there was nothing forthcoming on anything new, anything different, anything uh, beyond this. So they assumed that uh, the Maya were predicting the end of time or the end of the world. And this really demonstrates nothing more than the fact that... Uh, even early archaeologists, scientists, though they may have been, were still very much under the influence of the Abrahamic religions, which do believe in an apocalypse, a final end of the world, and that they did not understand that the Maya thought in the same manner as Hindus with their yugas, pralayas, you know, uh, interlocking... Uh, cycles of thousands or even millions of years uh they they simply did not understand that the maya thought the same way uh and it wasn't really until oh my gosh uh probably not until the 1990s that we were able to translate what's called the Temple of the Inscriptions at Palenque. And I've mentioned this earlier, uh, that it predicts that the King Pakal the Great will return on a certain date in the year 4,772 AD or uh, CE and uh, reincarnate and become the King of Palenque again. Uh, so it should have been clear that the Maya were thinking far beyond 2012. Uh, but sometimes the New Age fails to realize that because they were also, most of them born and raised in uh, um, American or European families that also come from the Abrahamic tradition, that they're just kind of hardwired hardwired for this end of the world stuff. So people began to interpret it as such. Uh, we now know that the Maya were simply talking about a world age, one of which begins at 3,114 BC and ended in 2012. And the next one that began in 2012 will go for another 5,125 years and be divided into 13 cycles, which are divided into groups of 20-year cycles. 
and that this was just uh, their way of counting and also of predicting historical patterns, which is something I'd like to write about at some point. Um, I have written a little bit about it, but uh, that that book is only available in, in, in a PDF. I haven't managed to get it into a solid print yet. What book uh, is that titled? My, the Mayan Prophecies. Okay, so that's uh, the I, one where I, I analyze uh, all 13 uh, groups of 20, you know, 20 year cycles uh, in the Chalambalam books. Okay, so that's the one that's available as a PDF on your website if people just email you? Yes. Yeah. Okay, that's cool. Um, so. Yeah. And then the 2012 stuff, it seemed like that was something that really picked up in like the 1990s forward, basically. And then it got merged with other, like they tried merging sometimes with other ideas from Western astrology, like with the age of Aquarius, other stuff like that. And it just seemed like. Right. Instead of end of the world, it became enlightenment for everybody, uh, you know, in, in, in some or for some thinkers, yeah, sure. But it was very much disconnected from not not just what the ancient actual like Mayan astrology would have said or implied about that, but also even it seemed like contemporary practitioners of of Mesoamerican astrology weren't really even being consulted that much either. It seemed like, right? Um, you know, they were not aware of it because uh, the Maya stopped using the long count. Uh, around 900 CE, and only the 20-year fragments survived, not the entire picture of the long count. And uh, those 20-year uh, cycles uh, found their way into the books of Chalam Balam and survived that way, but somewhat out of context in the larger scheme of things. So, yeah, it, it was uh, basically just a, a whole series of misunderstandings, really. Okay, that's good to know. Um, um, yeah. So I think- uh, Oh, up... I was going to say, right, when, when I first got, uh, because they did not remember the long count even in Momostanango, where more of the ancient tradition survives than any other place, most of the people there had never heard of 2012 until hippie visitors started coming up on the chicken bus and asking them about it. Oh, no. Well, that <laughs> must have been really, really awkward. Uh, really, it must have been. Uh, most of them were aware of this, what they call this crazy Western idea by the time I got there in 2010. And my good friend Don Rigoberto had already, you know, made a living for himself going around to various different countries explaining the real concept. Okay. He, he, so he, he was a very fine historian uh, of Mayan culture, and he did understand the long count. So is that part of the reason why, because you said your first book that you wrote, um, Jaguar Wisdom, which I believe came out in 1997, that that became unexpected. 90, 97, yeah. 97, that that became like 
popular it became unexpectedly popular at some later date is that was it partially due to that or swept up in some of that hype or or how did that come about I, I, well i was trying to i also spoke of it as a change in uh larger cycles of time uh, my intention was to uh take the focus off of all this stuff about sunspots and uh alien astronauts and uh end of the world or enlightenment for everybody and return things to a consideration of the actual mayan people and what they had retained of their ancient knowledge so of course you know my whole treatment of the 2012 uh phenomenon was uh fairly skeptical sure sure but because the Mayan, because the long count has its roots in the 260-day calendar. Um, the book probably did become popular because people were looking at it in hopes of finding out more about 2012. If so, I, I sus well, I would have suspected that they might be disappointed, but apparently a lot of people really took to the ideas in it because it became very popular. Uh, and uh, so I, I feel like my intention sort of worked out in the sense that uh, it, I did manage to turn the focus back to uh, the the living Maya and what they remember instead of uh, alien astronauts and uh, what what have you. Yeah. Okay. Well, that eventually led to um, your second book on this, which was came out in 2011, which was titled Mayan Calendar Astrology: Mapping Your Inner right. Cosmos. And uh -huh. and one of the things that you've talked about and that you recently is you said that you've witnessed over the past 20 to 30 years, this great um, flowering of contemporary Mayan astrology where it's, it's growing and developing mm -hmm. and, um, and and turning into something new because it's growing, because it's a living, living tradition. Right. It probably originates. I, I cannot find anyone among the daykeepers who heard about it earlier than 1990. So I'm assuming that it developed in, in the late 1980s. And I have many reasons too complex to go into. I believe that it developed in Quetzaltenango, uh, uh, which is Guatemala's second largest city and uh, a Quiche city. Uh, but yes, they've taken ancient uh, ideas and elements and created uh, a system of natal astrology, which we don't have from the uh, classic period Maya. And it has spread like wildfire all over Guatemala. And I've even been on buses with young people uh, from Yucatan, where the 260-day um, count was lost, oh, probably in the 1820s. Uh, you know, young men who used the internet to find somebody in Guatemala who could teach them this new system. 
And, you know, so I have been on the bus with enthusiastic young men from all over the Maya world who come to the Quiche country to learn the new system of astrology. And it's spreading like wildfire. Um, it's, it, well, 1990, uh, it's only about 32 years old, 33 years old. Um, but commentary has, there's been a lot of commentary about how systems of astrology sometimes seem to have developed rather quickly in time. Um, you know, certainly like with Hellenistic astrology, you mean? Well, um, I'm thinking partly of Alfred Vita and Uranian astrology. This was just a few individuals over maybe, you know, 20 to 30 years. And uh, Hellenist, it has been argued, although I, I suppose uh, it could be argued differently. It, it has been argued that uh, we have a few people, uh, Nikepso, Petasiris, a couple of other names, and uh, that uh, these various people seem to have lived around the same time. And uh, what remains of their writing doesn't so much indicate a little small beginning. It, it, it indicates a fully-fledged art. Um, so... Yeah, in that sense, you could say that uh, this new system of Mayan astrology is very similar to uh, um, either Uranian or possibly uh, Hellenistic astrology in the sense that it has used ancient materials and re-envisioned them in, into a new system. So you feel like you're you're witnessing the birth of a new and more more advanced and more complex. Uh, apparently, I'm considered one of the major uh, players in bringing it out to the world. I found out about it in 1991, um, about a year after it had been invented, and I've been working with it ever since. And uh, so, so, uh, some of the masters. Uh, like Carlos Barrios, whom I mentioned, uh, were, were good friends of mine. Um, so, uh, oh, and then the the man who uh, whom the Maya themselves consider to be the finest astrologer, but he's never written any books and he speaks not a word of English. Roberto Pose is considered to be the finest uh, in the new system, and I studied with him as well. Uh, so I, I've actually been in it and part of it since the beginning. Uh, most of the horoscopes that I see uh, traveling around the Internet resemble uh, the design that I created. Um, yeah, I, I, I really do feel like I'm in the midst of an emerging form of astrology, which is very exciting. Yeah. So and you wrote in the notes. Let me read this because it seemed important that it was during during the Guatemalan Civil War from 1981 to 1986 that a kind of cultural and spiritual renaissance began among the Maya, primarily among college students who were aware 
that uh -huh. keepers of traditional knowledge were being slaughtered in mass so yeah. that yeah go, go ahead um, so you wrote, among the products of this renaissance was the natal astrological system known as the Mayan cross, which began uh -huh. circa 1989 or 1990 with a simple cross. Each of the four arms, as well as the center corresponding to a particular day sign and meaning derived mm -hmm. mathematically. So is yes. that, and then that has expanded. Um, you said in 23 years, the five sign cross has been expanded to nine signs the year lord the sign with the highest numerical total the mm -hmm. numerical total of the entire birth chart a lightning lord bolt the, yeah lord of the year yeah okay a lightning bolt which runs through the horoscope oh yeah and, okay and charts the inner lightning quote unquote within a uh -huh. person's body yeah. and the and a system for determining compatibility yes yeah so is that connected with the example image that you shared me would this be good yes. time to show that yeah, I um yeah, I, I can do that. Uh, okay, okay. So what is okay. this image? So, in the very center, you you see the green cross, mm -hmm. and in the center, uh, is the hieroglyph for three kek, meaning three deer. So we see that the central column is all in red, and everything else is all in white. The central column will always be comprised of a single element, in this case, fire. Uh, the eastern direction, as it were. And uh, we have three kek above it, which represents the west. Eight kawok uh, represents what we call the conception sign, everything that we bring into this life with us from uh, our family heritage, our ancestors, even our uh, past lives. And then uh, below three kek, we see 11 zikin. And 11 zikin is called the future sign because it represents the eastern direction and therefore the sunrise, the beginning of new things. Uh, then the right and left are reversed as if we are looking in a mirror. Ten emosh is actually the right-hand uh, arm, whereas nine ak is the uh, left-hand arm. And uh, the right-hand arm of the cross is our masculine or yang side. The other uh, is our feminine or yin side. And then there are the four uh, uh, day signs at the corners. And I won't go into that too much because uh, so many people disagree on what they mean. There's a lot of different opinions about it. But the you can see the day sign Emosh. He's on uh, the uh, arm of the cross there and also down in one corner below it uh, and uh, to the other side. 10 plus 4 equals 14. That is the highest total uh, of numbers uh, of any day sign. So he gets uh, a place down there at the bottom of the chart, 14 emotion, the sign with the highest numerical total has a strong influence on personality. 
And um, then on the other side, 7e is the year. This individual was born in the year 7e. Um, and if you total up uh, all nine signs plus the seven from 7a, you will reach the number 60. Uh, and the intensity uh, with which a person lives has a lot to do with how high the number is. The higher the number, which goes as high as 86, the more intense the life. Uh, so uh, that that's a brief summary. And by the way, when we stand at the altar, uh, we face the east. So we're facing the sunrise. We're facing the future. And behind us is the sunset, the land of the ancestors, which is why that represents... Uh, uh, our past incarnations, our past lives, our childhood, and then uh, all our male friends and relatives and qualities are on our right hand, female on the left hand. Uh, so really this evolves out of uh, the orientation that we use when we perform ceremony, mm. which is what I mean when I say that... Uh, it's based on very, very ancient ideas. Um, and yet, despite the fact that the ideas are ancient, the treatment is uh, modern. And yes, uh, when, when I first went to Momostanango, almost nobody had heard of the Mayan cross system, although they could all do the divination with the red coral seeds. Uh, and it was university students who started adopting the Mayan cross system. Uh, I also believe it came out of a university. I can't prove it, but I am fairly certain that it originated with, uh, in Quetzaltenango at the University of Rafael Landivar, um, I have a lot of reasons, but it would take me an hour or so to explain them. <laughs> and that's a that was a Jesuit university. It is a Jesuit university, yes. Okay, uh, which explains where they could have found the lightning bolt, which so strongly resembles the one in the Kabbalah going through the Tree of Life, mm. because the Jesuits would have that in their library, wouldn't they? Okay. Um, and they also have, so they have. Uh, a daykeeper who is a professor of Mayan languages who teaches at a Jesuit university and who also teaches the astrology, I suspect he lies at the origin of all of this. Okay. So um, so this is the whole system, and, and like you, you're saying, so this is the system that you outline in your book, Mayan Calendar right. Astrology, right. Yes. and that goes into both the individual symbols as well as the uh -huh. the outline of everything. Yeah, and someday I may, uh, if I could ever afford to get hold of a copy of Sahagun, I may try to uh, do a reconstruction of Aztec astrology. Of course, Bruce Schofield... Uh, reconstructed part of it and much as with the Chalam Blam books he mixes it with uh western astrology uh so uh 
you know, and a lot of people, I, I've seen a lot of people criticizing him for mixing it. And I've always been the one on social media to have to defend him and remind people that the Maya did precisely the same thing in the books. Mix, Shalom, mix in the, oh, mixing, mixing systems. Mixing the you two mean? systems, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, got it. So, uh yeah, those are. It's interesting that tension there that astrologers have different hats. Sometimes where sometimes you have your historian hat, where you're going back and trying to reconstruct yeah. what different systems were in different eras. But uh-huh. then sometimes as a contemporary practitioner, your your focus as a practitioner is to take the best pieces from each system that you think work and to, and to sort of put them together right. into something that's effective. Yes, uh, I, I you know. They they used to say, oh, the the rabbis who were my academic advisors in comparative religions department used to say, put two rabbis in a room and you've got three opinions. I would say put two astrologers in a room and you've got three opinions. Right. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And uh, so I I wrote about uh, the Mayan cross system because I was trained by some of the greats. Uh, Roberto Pose was a direct student of the uh, teacher at the Jesuit University who may have originated it. Uh, And uh, Carlos Barrios is the most famous name. Um, And I've worked with all of these people extensively. Uh, So um, I wrote a book on that. Lately, I've been uh, hanging out more with people who are seriously interested in ancient Mexico in the old days. And I'm thinking of uh, someday doing a book on ancient Aztec astrology using uh, the codex page that I showed you from was from the codex Borbonicus, which is special. Uh, It's believed to be the one codex, which is closest to the Toltec tradition. Uh, And, uh, matching it up with uh, Sahagun's writing, because he was the objective guy, and he left us a couple of hundred pages on the astrology, uh, and, you know, doing a practical reconstruction uh, of the Aztec system. Okay. So, um, yeah, so one of the things you've said in the end is just that you strongly suspect that this is only the beginning and that the Maya, the Maya gained the right to practice their ancient religion at the end of the civil war in 1996 in Guatemala, um, and that their cultural renaissance is ongoing so that you expect that the Mayan cross system, which is your name for this, that it will continue to develop. Um, and that, um, yeah, that that's something is that you, you want it, to continue to be involved. It will in. continue to develop as, as with many other uh, new ideas that are coming out of the universities. Uh, another uh, very positive thing was that, uh, you know, I, a lot of the people I know, uh, I, one great teacher that I know, was pulled out of school during the the fourth grade to help with his family and had to train himself to read and write in Spanish. And his wife, uh, we watch her very carefully when we take her to restaurants because she is likely to have the menu upside down because she can't read or write at all. She was pulled out in the second grade. 
But now, since the end of the Civil War, since the Maya gained more human rights, civil rights, we find more and more people coming out of the villages and into universities. And I believe that this is where the cultural renaissance is going to come from. Okay. Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. In, well, in fact, uh, my, my friend who was pulled out of the, in the fourth grade and taught himself to be uh, the historian of Momo Stenango and uh, read and write fluently in both Quiche and Spanish, um, he made a lot of money talking about 2012. He went to um, an American expatriate and said, you know, I'm in my 50s and I've never had a bank account in my life. Can you show me how to make one? And so she took him to the bank and he started a high interest savings account and continued to live the life of a campesino in, uh, uh, you know, with dirt floors and tin roof and tin walls. But he sent all his kids to college. Oh, wow. This is where it's all coming from. People like this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, that's very exciting. And yeah, exciting to witness what we what we've seen almost what we've suspect we've seen in different traditions historically, like you mentioned with Uranian astrology and cosmobiology, or that we mm -hmm. suspect may have happened in the early Hellenistic tradition, where you have mm -hmm the revival of some older traditions, but then also the the merging or the synthesis with contemporary ones that create something new, but that sometimes those periods of flourishing happen very rapidly and that yes. we're seeing something very similar to that happening in real time with this um, today over the past 30 years, yes. basically. Yes. Yeah. That That's what I think uh, that uh, even though this is quite a different culture than the Western world that, Produce, European world that produced uh, Uranian astrology or the uh, um, Hellenistic Ecumene, which uh, produced Hellenistic astrology, I believe that we are seeing a similar process in the human spirit. Brilliant. Okay. So um, I think that kind of brings us to the end of this. So I wanted to talk about um, where people can find out more information about your work, what your ongoing work is, or what projects you'd like to do related to this in the future, and where people can find out more information um, about some of the stuff that we've talked about here. Okay. Uh, my website is www.jaguarwisdom.org. Please don't mistake it for jaguarwisdom.com because there is no such website. So jaguarwisdom.org, where you can find my books for sale. Um, although really uh, for um, my on-calendar astrology, you will have to go to Amazon because the link is broken and we haven't fixed it yet. Um, also... Uh, you can contact me um, at kenjohnson108 at gmail.com because I have a complete beginning course in the current Mayan Cross astrology system uh, that is in four units of five hours each. This is a 20-hour course. 
um, and uh, you can get it from me. Nice. Awesome. Okay, good. Okay. Um, well, I'll put and a link. I hope someday to work more with the Toltec Nahuatl Central Mexican tradition in the future. Yeah, well, I know um, on Facebook, for example, you you post regularly about day signs. Oh yeah, and um, now that we you've got like the the webcam and the microphone setup that we did for this. Yeah, um, maybe we can get you to do more like video versions of that at some point on YouTube. I think that would probably be really popular. Uh, okay. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, just throwing throwing that out there, or as okay. well as other other courses and teachings, but. Um, people should definitely email you for those books as well as for that course. And I'll put a link to your website in the description below this video on YouTube or, or on you the podcast website. Me, yeah, you can find me under Jaguar Wisdom on Facebook. Yeah. Good. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. That that's cool. where I do the daily posts for the energy of each day. Using the as I learned it, word of mouth uh, in Guatemala during my nine lunar months of intensive study to be initiated. Okay. Awesome. Okay. You Using that system. Great. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining me for this today. This is amazing. Okay. I can't believe how much we covered, but, uh, but this was really, really great. Okay. Thank you. All yeah. Right. All right. Well, thanks everyone for watching or listening to this episode of the Astrology Podcast, and we'll see you again next time. Hey, special thanks to all the patrons that helped to support the production of this episode of the podcast through our page on patreon.com. In particular, shout out to the patrons on our producers tier, including Christy Moe, Ariana Amour, Mandy Ray, Angelique Nambo, Issa Sabah, Jake Otero, Jeannie Marie Kaplan, and Melissa Delano. If you appreciate the work I'm doing here on the podcast and you'd like to find a way to support it, then please consider becoming a patron through our page on patreon.com. In exchange, you can get access to bonus content that's only available to patrons of the podcast, such as early access to new episodes, the ability to attend the live recording of the monthly forecast episodes, our monthly Auspicious Elections podcast, or another exclusive podcast series called the Casual Astrology Podcast, or you can even get your name listed in the credits at the end of each episode. For more information, visit patreon.com slash astrologypodcast. If you're looking to get an astrological consultation, we have a new list of astrologers that have been on the podcast before and who we recommend for readings at theastrologypodcast.com slash consultations. There you'll find astrologers who offer different types of consultations, including birth chart readings, synastry, rectification, electional astrology, query questions, and more. The astrology software that we use and recommend here on the podcast is called Solar Fire for Windows, which is available for the PC at alabe.com. Use the promo code AP15 to get a 15% discount. For Mac users, we recommend a software program called Astro Gold for Mac OS, which is from the creators of SolarFire for PC, and it includes both modern and traditional techniques. You can find out more information at astrogold.io, and you can use the promo code ASTROPODCAST15 to get a 15% discount. If you'd like to learn more about my approach to astrology, then I'd recommend checking out my book titled Hellenistic Astrology, The Study of Fate and Fortune where I go over the history, philosophy, and techniques of ancient astrology, taking people from beginner up through intermediate and advanced techniques for reading birth charts. You can get a print copy of the book through Amazon or other online retailers, or there's an ebook version available through Google Books. If you're really looking to expand your studies of astrology, then I would recommend my Hellenistic Astrology course, which is an online course on ancient astrology 
where I take people through basic concepts up through intermediate and advanced techniques for reading birth charts. There's over 100 hours of video lectures as well as guided readings of ancient texts, and by the time you finish the course you will have a strong foundation in how to read birth charts as well as make predictions. You can find out more information at courses.theastrologyschool.com. And finally, thanks to our sponsors, including The Mountain Astrologer magazine, which is a quarterly astrology magazine which you can read in print or online at mountainastrologer.com. Mm -hmm.